The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. saying of John that was the most popular and well-known in the New Testament was found in Mark, the first chapter, the eighth verse. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. John said, I baptize you in water, but he will baptize you in Holy Spirit. Now, what would the Jews think as they hear him say, 
baptize in the Holy Spirit or baptize or plunge into the Holy Spirit? Well, the word spirit was not a new word to them. Their history contained many examples of the Spirit of God, his inevitable power, his coming on ordinary men and women like Saul of of, uh, of the first kingship. As, as the Holy Spirit fell on him, he prophesied. He was met with miraculous events. He was given success in battles. Holy Spirit fell upon Elisha, a double portion, I believe symbolizing the church. So this was not out of their range of understanding. This invisible power of the Holy Spirit of God coming on ordinary men and women, enabling them to do extraordinary things. So, to baptize in spirit, that would be a new idea. This concept of being plunged was now familiar, however, because of John's actions in the river. In some way, the two baptisms would be similar. An overwhelming experience of being completely submerged in a fresh medium. The main emphasis is John's statement is the word holy. English translations usually mistakenly insert the definite article, the turning a description into a name. John was promising that they would be plunged, baptized, immersed in Holy Spirit. Now, this had never happened before. The Holy Spirit would come upon a man in the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, but never did the Holy Spirit enter into a man and dwell in him. But this is the final antidote to the sinful condition of a man's heart. The same person who took their sin away would also soak them in holiness, in cleanness, in set-apartness. Holy was a perfectly familiar concept to the Jews, Their God was the Holy One of Israel. Their calling was to be holy as he was holy. To be a holy people meant to be a separated people negatively from sin, positively unto God, not just clean, but clean enough for God's exclusive use. This plunging in Holy Spirit was by far the most prominent feature in John's preaching. Surprisingly, he only talked about the Lamb of God taking away the sin of the world on occasion to a limited audience. But of baptism in spirit is recorded in Mark 1.7. Literally, he kept preaching this baptism, this 
immersion in spirit that Jesus was going to bring. Repeatedly, regularly, he warned his disciples that a baptism in water for forgiveness of sins was not enough. But it was all John the Baptist could do for them. They needed to move on to another baptizer, another baptism, or they would regress to their former condition. The clean beginning he had helped them to make would be wasted, it would be lost. Now, looking back through the centuries, it's clear that the rest of John's ministry has been faithfully continued, even to this day, in the Christian church. His practice of water baptism has been almost universal. The exception would be the Quakers, perhaps the Salvation Army, It has to be added that there's been considerable change in who, how, and why, but it's still being done. Almost every church will baptize by plunging under the water or by moistening the forehead or by sprinkling. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee. We're talking about this second baptism today. It's very vital that you understand that there is a second baptism necessary to enter into the fullness of what God has for you. You remember the passages of Scripture speak about a man who has been swept clean and then he goes about his business. And the demon that was cast out, not finding a place to live, gathers together seven others and comes back and moves in. And the end of that man is worse than the beginning. I've seen that over and over. Where a man will press and press and press to live a holy and righteous life, but never deal with the central part, the root part, of his pride. Pride is where we fail. And the rage and anger that erupts in a man's heart because he can't have his way. He can't be important. He can't be rich. He can't be established. He can't be what he wants to be because he's been called by Jesus. And he needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now John's call for repentance, for reformation, for restitution, we still hear that preached in the modern church on occasion. His offer of forgiveness for sins. Sins that we've committed. That appeal is still made. It's considered the heart of the good news of the gospel. His warning about judgment to come for those who continue in their sins has been echoed more or less 
today less down through the years. His identification, John's identification of Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world has been widely incorporated into our liturgy, especially in the Eucharist or the communion. It's repeated around the world every Sunday. But where is the ringing affirmation that Jesus is the baptizer, that Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit? This has been largely forgotten. It's been overshadowed by other titles and functions. He's been preached by most as Savior, and then, may I dare say, secondly, and not so clearly, as Lord. He's been preached as friend, your best friend, your buddy. But he has not been preached commonly in the American church as baptizer. Now, this has led to a, a gross distortion in the preaching of the gospel. And I am guilty of this. My focus has been to preach on forgiveness. That's where I've been. I've preached repentance. And then in recent years, I've added to that message of repentance, I've added the message of holiness. In literal practice, the ministry of the church has gone little beyond John's preaching. He was able to get sinners baptized and forgiven. Is that all the church can or should be doing? Of course, Christian pastors can point to the atonement of the cross as the ground of forgiveness and baptism in the name of Jesus or the Trinity but in practice, are the recipients of this any better off than John's disciples unless Jesus baptizes them in the Holy Spirit? And I would argue, no, they're not. And this is where we have gotten the horrible, sinful doctrine of the sinning Christian. Because we have not had the preaching of baptism in Holy Spirit. Let's put it another way. Is holiness as necessary as forgiveness if we are to see the Lord God of heaven? Well, look at Hebrews twelve fourteen. Is forgiveness alone an adequate qualification for admission into heaven? And I would argue no. No. Preaching has focused on the past rather than the present work of Jesus. What he did for us rather than what he does for us. I hear people all the time saying, Jesus finished it at the cross. Well, what did Jesus finish at the cross? He finished the sacrifice. He finished the atonement sacrifice. 
but you need the Holy Spirit to apply that to your heart and to your life. Now, it's too bad that in the church calendar we remember the coming of the Holy Spirit on Thursday, not a Sunday. It's often even overlooked. That event is as important to Christian faith as his death, burial, and resurrection, as every creed testifies. It was the inauguration of the present ministry as our high priest at the right hand of God the Father, as well as interceding for us, preparing a place for us, and exercising all authority in heaven and on earth. Perhaps the most important role he now prays, he now play, pays, as to receive the, the promised Holy Spirit from his Father, and to pour out that same Spirit on his disciples, not only once, but time after time after time. Only he can baptize you in Holy Spirit. Now, it's a tragedy that this has not found a place in the teaching of the church as compared with the forgiveness of sins. What Christ takes away has been proclaimed and accepted. What he gives in its place has been muted. That would be one reason why liturgies concentrate on miserable sinners rather than on joyful saints. And of course, I don't mean to imply that the church has been without the Holy Spirit altogether. He has been active even when he's not been acknowledged. Those who've sought more than they were offered have received more. Many have been baptized in the Holy Spirit without fully understanding the connection between their experience and the biblical promise it was fulfilling. They have been, quote, spirit-filled, unquote, saints in all ages, some recognized as such by the whole church, most known only to their close friends and to God. Yet God alone knows how much more power, purity, and unity would have characterized his people on earth had John's clear and confident message been faithfully proclaimed with his emphasis on the positive as well as on the negative. If only the church had been as sure as he was that the same Jesus who can take away our sins can also plunge us into Holy Spirit, the church's history might have been dramatically different. And I simply testify before you, I preached repentance and I preached holiness until people were very uncomfortable and began to say, Jesus is a hard man because he demands a total surrender and giving over to him of every area of our life, every area of our heart. And it's true, he does require that. We could go through scripture after scripture that teaches that. But if we stop at that place, and I don't want to confess this, but I must. I'm going to preach as hard as I can, as far as I can. And all the further I could preach was repent. 
And then the Lord gave me the message of holiness. Now all I could preach was repent and holiness. And the result was those who sat under that continual ministry of negative tended to not be joyful saints. See, I'm not interested in in joyful Christians who are shallow, who are who are wicked, who walk in the ways of the world, who who participate in all the things of darkness. No, I'm interested in a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, who will follow Jesus, who will totally give themselves over to him. And the result will be a baptism in the Holy Spirit where they will be rejoicing where they will not walk in known sin, where they will rejoice. Now, this is a new understanding that the Holy Spirit is bringing into my life. And it brings such joy to my heart. I have walked year after year faithfully before the Lord, proclaiming, in spite of every turmoil, every mistake I've made, and I've made many, I have preached, repent and be holy, because no man, according to Hebrews 8, no man will see the Lord without holiness. But what I've been missing is this joyful plunge into the Holy Spirit. Now, I'd like to walk through today something that I've shared many times before, but it's taken on a great deal more meaning as the Lord has been quickening this and quickening me in Jesus. It's the story of Reese Howells. This is, I'm going to stop and I'm going to talk specifically about point by point so that you will understand what I'm saying. But I want you to know that the end of this is the joyful infilling by the Holy Spirit, the baptism, the plunging into the Holy Spirit. He's at a conference. Reese Howells, this was... When did Reese Howells minister? My goodness, I should know that. Um... See if I can turn and quickly find it for you. Um, 1928. The early 1900s. Uh, he was born in the late 1800s. Let me share this with you. It's, it's a, a wonderful, encouraging story, but it's much more than a story. He is learning in this conference that the Holy Spirit is a person like Jesus, not in human flesh, but in spirit. He has his own personality. He has his own personhood. He is God. He is fully God, even as Jesus is fully God, and the Father is fully God. Now, this meeting that he has with the Holy Spirit is absolutely real for him. 
As the Spirit had a body, so he said to Reese, I dwell in the cleansed temple of the believer. I am a person. I am God. I am come to ask you to give your body to me that I may work through it. I need a body for my temple. 1 Corinthians 6.19 But it must belong to me without reserve, for two persons with different wills can never live in the same body. Will you give me yours? Romans 12.1 But if I come in, I come in as God, and you must go out. Colossians 3.2-3 I shall not mix myself with yourself. He made it very plain that he would never share my life. I saw the honor he gave me in offering to indwell me, but there were many things very dear to me, and I knew he wouldn't keep one of them. The change he would make was very clear. It meant every bit of my fallen nature was to go to the cross, and he would bring in his own life and his own nature. It was unconditional surrender. Now the battle that I have had as I have preached and taught repentance and holiness is that men and women just for repentance and holiness will not surrender their whole life. Instead, they will hang on to those portions that they love, their drugs of choice. Entertainment anger, bitterness, um, clubbing, all kinds of things that people want to hang on to, gluttony. And the harder you press them on letting go of these and entering into holiness, the more resistance and the more negative it becomes. Now, it's very clear that the baptism of the Holy Spirit came in Acts 1, not Revelation 21. So, sometimes we've thought, I have to be all washed up. I have to be totally sold out and given to God. No, this is the work of the Holy Spirit to do that in you. You can't do it yourself. Salvation is not by works. It is by faith in the mighty name of Jesus. And he sends his Holy Spirit to finish this work in our hearts. Reese says, I had received a sentence of death as really as a prisoner who is sentenced to die. I lived in my body for 26 years. Could I easily give it up? Who would give up his life to another in an hour? Why does a man struggle when death comes if it's easy to die? I knew that the only place fit for the old nature was on the cross. Paul made that very plain in Romans, the sixth chapter. But once this is done in reality, it is done forever. I could not run into this. I intended to do it, but oh, the cost. I wept for days. I lost seven pounds in weight just because I saw what he offered me. How I wish I'd never seen it. One thing he reminded of was that he'd only come to take what I'd already promised the Savior, not in part, but in whole. 
Since he died for me, I died in him, and I knew that the new life was his and not mine. That had been clear to me in my mind for three years. So he'd only come to take what was his own. I saw that only the Holy Spirit in me could live like the Savior. Everything he told me appealed to me. It was only a question of loss, the loss there would be in surrender. I didn't give my answer in a moment, and he didn't want me to. It took five days to make the decision, days spent alone with God. Like Isaiah, I saw the holiness of God, and he said, and seeing him, I saw my own corrupt nature. It wasn't sins I saw, but nature touched by the fall. I was corrupt to the core. I knew I had to be cleansed. I saw there was as much difference between the Holy Spirit and myself as between light and darkness. Nothing is more real to me than the process I went through for the whole week. The Holy Spirit went on dealing with me, exposing the root of my nature, which was self. You can only get out of a thing what is in its root. Sin was canceled, and it wasn't sin he was dealing with. It was self, that thing which came from the fall. And he was not going to take a superficial surrender. He put his finger on each part of my self-life, and I had to decide in cold blood. He could never take a thing away until I gave my consent. And then the moment I gave it, some purging took place. Isaiah 6, 5-7. through seven. And I could never touch that thing again. It was not saying I was purged and the thing still having a hold on me. No, it was a breaking. The Holy Spirit taking control. Day by day, this dealing went on. He was coming in as God and I had lived as a man. And what is permissible to an ordinary man, he told me, will not be permissible to you. Now, first, there was the love of money, the root of evil. The Lord told him that he would take out of his nature all taste for money and any ambition for the ownership of money. Now, this is such a difficult issue. How do I even begin to talk about this with you? Some of you in your heart have believed the devil's lie that God wants you to be rich. Nowhere in Scripture will you find the teaching that God wants you to be rich. Now, does he want you to be poor? No, nowhere in Scripture will you find that God wants you in poverty. What do you find? You find that God wants to be your source and your supply for everything. That he'll give you a job to do, and he'll flow the cash to you through that job. Or he'll do as he's done with me, as I live by faith, and I trust him to send what's necessary to pay the rent, to pay the electric. I trust Jesus to cover these things while I give myself full-time to radio ministry, to ministering to people, 
to preaching on the weekends, to leading in prayer. But this love of money has its root down into the very core of a man's heart. And if a man can't go out and begin to establish himself, rage and bitterness quickly emerge. Because the self in man wants to be in charge of his life. And the way we can be in charge of our life is to have a great deal of money and be able to go where we want to go and do what we want to do and give where we want to give and hold where we want to hold. So this issue of money is right at the very core. And it's not surprising that the Holy Spirit deals first with this money issue in Reese Howe's heart. Because fear rises. Look, I don't have enough money to pay the rent. What am I going to do? I can't make the mortgage. What am I going to do? I can't make the car payment. What am I going to do? I've got to do something to make some money. And off we go to the races. This is the kernel, the inner kernel of a man's heart who is still centered in himself. It is the most deceptive and worst kind of pride that a man can have. And for the Holy Spirit to come into your life, he's going to first have to deal with this money issue. You're going to have to come to terms that the money that you have is not your money. That you are a servant of the Most High God and he wants to plunge you into the Holy Spirit and use you for the work of the kingdom of God. This is not some pleasant add-on so that you can be a tongue-speaking, happy, happy Christian. No, it's the Holy Spirit, not the happy spirit. It's the Holy Spirit, the clean spirit. And he's the one who, using the blood of Jesus, washes and cleanses us and breaks the power of the holy, unholy spirits of, of demons from our hearts and from our lives. And pride is the chief of the demons. And when we can't have our way, many men will begin to curse and swear. They'll be angry. They'll be hostile. They'll strike out. All of this is just a clear indicator that a man is not given over to the Holy Spirit yet. And the Holy Spirit is striving with his heart. Now, Probably next Monday, I want to do a message for you called The Rage of Judas. The Rage of Judas. Why did Judas do what he did? The name Judas has become synonymous with every ungodly, unpleasant kind of person a betrayer. But what was at the heart of what Judas was doing? 
And I want to tell you in advance today, it was this core of of self-importance, of money. Somebody said to me, God wants to run every man and every woman into the wall of Jesus where they finally have to face the reality that they are not God, that there is only one God. His name is Jesus. Now this pride is also easily offended. I can say something on the air that will offend somebody, or I can preach in a sermon something that will offend somebody, and they become very, very angry. And they begin to make harsh accusations against me. And they may even walk out of the church. They may walk out of my life cursing me, It's happened many times. No forgiveness, no gentleness, no kindness, no mercy. I'm done. I'm out of here. I'm not going to walk with you. All of that is a sign that that person needs to run into the wall of Jesus. That person needs to understand that Jesus is the Lord. They're not. And their self-righteousness stands in opposition to the righteousness of Jesus. This is what the Holy Spirit was confronting Reese over. His ambition. Remember in the story of Reese Howells that I've shared, he moved from Wales to America, Connellsville, Pennsylvania. I've been there many times. And he worked there because he could make more money than in Wales. He came to America for money, for ambition. (coughs) Pardon me. He wanted money. And so he was in America to make it. A man who came to the National Prayer Chapel had come as a legal immigrant to this nation. He had left behind a very profitable business. Why did he come to America? Because he wanted more money. So he's sponsored by a family and They come over, they're Christians, they come. And the wife falls in love with the person who sponsored them. And he came to me and he said, Pastor, I've lost my wife and my child. I said, why did you come to America? He said, I came for money. I said, when you came for money, you told the devil he had a right to take your wife. Do you understand? When you want money, when you want ambition, you are giving the devil permission to steal from you. 
I've had to face this reality. And the Lord has taken all taste for money and ambition from my heart. Now, sometimes when you don't have ambition for money and you don't have an ambition to be somebody, guys, your wife may leave you because she has that ambition buried in her heart and she wants to be somebody and she wants to build her career. She wants to be somebody that people recognize and and fawn over and think she's wonderful. Yes, that happens too. What I'm talking about is not just men. This core, this taste for money, this this ambition, it grows in the heart of both men and women. And it blocks out the voice of God. And it prevents us from being plunged into the Holy Spirit. Now, the Lord's will was that money should not have any more meaning to us than it did to John the Baptist or John the Baptizer or to Jesus himself. Now, part of this may have been dealt with when you were born again. But now the Holy Spirit is going to have to get at the very root. Because most likely when you were born again, that root simply was submerged and it's still very much a part of your life. And with that is anger. Anger in your heart is a sign of pride. It's a signal that you yet are very concerned about your own ambitions and your own lust. Only the Lord can take the anger from your heart. It's something that is sin. It must be recognized as a drug. It must be acknowledged. It must be repented of. And it must be cast out by the coming in of the Holy Spirit. And this dealing for Reese Howells was a one-day dealing, but for some of us it's had to be a lot longer than a day because we have been very stubborn in our hearts, clinging to that which we loved. Now, there was also the fact that Reese Howes was presented with the certainty that he would only be able to have a home that Jesus would choose for him. He could not choose his own life partner, but the Lord himself would have to choose. Well, that's a long story. I know what it's like to have a wife that was chosen by the Lord. And I likewise know what it's like to have a wife who was not chosen by the Lord. It's a day and night difference. It is pain beyond bearing. And all one can do with it is take it to Jesus. It would not work to let anger come up about your marriage partner. It would not work to have accusations in your heart against your marriage partner. 
The Lord calls us to deal with our marriage partner with patience and love and respect and consideration, regardless of their behavior. That doesn't mean I'm suggesting that you should allow a husband or a wife to be physically abusive to you. That's beyond the pale of what I'm talking about. In that case, you need to get to safety somewhere. This issue of ambition, it was shown to Reese Howes this way, supposing he had a mission in a town and another mission opened in the same place. If there was jealousy between the two and it was better for the town to only have one, then it would be his mission that would close. Or suppose that he had a job and another man should apply for the same job. He'd let the other man have it. Or if he was earning 12 shillings a day and another man with a family was earning much less, the Spirit could tell him to give his job to that man. Choosing to suffer instead of causing another man or letting another person suffer. Was he willing to suffer for the sake of another? Well, why should I suffer for him? I loaned a large sum of money to a dear man with the firm promise that he would pay it back. When the time came for him to pay it back, he didn't have the money, and the months went by. Finally, the Lord said to me, Don't speak with him any further about this, but instead write him a note and forgive him and write that debt off. Yes, Lord. And I did that. And as soon as I did it, my heart lifted. I was free. Lord, now you can forgive me for my debts. My debts were much greater than his. The Holy Spirit also touched his reputation. Our reputation is very precious to us. And when we've been shamed, and I have many times been spoken to and dealt with in a way that shamed me, and my heart would rise up in rebellion and say, I don't deserve that. That's not fair. Well, it was... It was defending my reputation. But you know, I've never met a dead man who tried to defend his reputation. Have you ever walked in a cemetery and stepped on a grave? Did the man rise up and say, get off my grave spot? No, of course not. Dead men don't defend their reputation. I want my reputation to be utterly, totally, and completely lost in Jesus. 
I will not defend my reputation. I will hide in my Lord and my Master. And I am praying that he will plunge me fully and completely into Pentecost. And I want to tell you that as I have begun this journey toward Pentecost, I have awakened as I did this morning. I went out and did my normal prayer walk for a mile but I couldn't pray for that mile. All I could do is sing songs of praise and worship to Jesus. And then before I came to the broadcast, I went to a Panera store and I ordered a bowl of vegetable soup and a, and a half a sandwich. And the manager came over. He said, welcome pastor. I'm glad to see you. It's been a while. And he told the cashier, cancel that sale. I'm covering it. I said, my brother, you are the son of Barnabas. You are the son of encouragement. I was, I know it was because I was just praising Jesus and worshiping him all morning. And the glory of God was beginning to just fall upon me. I love Jesus. And do I want to be holy? Absolutely. I want all the holiness of Jesus applied to me as holy as a man can be. I want to be that man. But I know it's going to take the baptism, the plunging into the Holy Spirit to finish this work of holiness in my life. It's going to take the fullness of the Holy Spirit for the joy to break out in full measure in my life. Now, some of you say, well, I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit. Well, okay, there is some measure of Holy Spirit baptism today. I, too, speak in tongues. But I want to tell you, when I hear a person say, I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit, but they have no fruit, they've not won anyone to Jesus, I'm saying you better go back and question whether you were ever baptized in the Holy Spirit, because when you're baptized and plunged into the Holy Spirit, you become a bold witness and testimony for Jesus Christ, and people are drawn to it, and they are saved. So let's not play this this game of all, pastor, I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit. I speak in tongues. Well, so do I. But I tell you what, I don't have that fullness of the Holy Spirit that Jesus intends to give me. And I'm going to knock. I'm going to ask. I'm going to seek until according to Luke, the 11th chapter, I am brought into the absolute fullness of the baptism of the Holy Spirit as at Pentecost. And I pray that as I continue talking about these things, that you'll determine in your heart to go beyond where you are now. That you too will let the Holy Spirit deal with your ambition. That you too will let the Holy Spirit deal with your anger and your grudges. That you'll let the Holy Spirit come and soften your heart that the vows you've made you will erase in the name of Jesus and you will do what Jesus asks you to do and you will go where Jesus asks you to go. 
Lord Jesus, I pray now for the baptism of the Holy Spirit for every person listening to this broadcast. I pray, Jesus, that you will bring them into the fullness of your presence, that you will wash them and make them clean, that you will remove from them all ambition, all love of money, all defense, all anger, all bitterness, and that you will heal them physically and spiritually in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. You can write to me and please, I'm just on my face before God pleading for the resources to be able to continue. I trust Jesus to bring those through his people. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also go online and give online at the national at nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com. Just click on the donate button. You'll also find the latest videos there, and we also are streaming live on the internet. Have you subscribed yet? Please subscribe. Well, God bless you. He loves you, and he wants to baptize you, plunge you into Holy Spirit. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Jesus Christ.